0: I've said in the past that failure to act in respect of folic acid neural tube defects is like having a polio vaccine and not using it when polio is occurring in the community.
1: Hello and welcome to this edition of the ADC Spotlight Podcast. My name is Rachel Agbeke and I'm the senior editor at Archives of Disease in Childhood. I have here with me two authors of the paper, The Urgent Need for Folic Acid Fortification of Flour and Grains, Response to the 2019 UK Government's Public Consultation, and they are Professor Sir Nicholas Wold and Professor Joan Morris. We will be talking about folic acid fortification of flour and grains in the context of prevention of neural tube defects. But before we start the conversation, please could you introduce yourselves? Nick, may I start with you?
0: Yes, I'm Nicholas Wald. I'm a doctor who's worked in preventive medicine and epidemiology for many years. I've worked in the field of antenatal screening for birth defects, the prevention of birth defects, and in a study that was published in 1991, it showed really quite clearly that uh, most neural tube defects could be prevented if women took sufficient folic acid prior to pregnancy and in the early stages of pregnancy. Important aspect of this and other studies is that the folic acid needs to be taken usually before a woman knows that she's pregnant. So it's important that the consumption of the adequate amount of folic acid is started before pregnancy. Uh, One of my priorities is to try and get the government to introduce the mandatory fortification of flour and grains with folic acid so that uh, in an effective, safe and cheap way, uh, a major malformation could be prevented, at least in part.
1: Thank you, Nick. And may I now hear from Joan. Please, please, could you tell us your, your background and your interest in, in this topic?
2: Yes, I'm Joan Morris. I'm Professor of Medical Statistics at St George's University of London. And I've been working with Nick and with other colleagues looking at the how common all these birth defects are not only in the uk but across europe
1: thank you i think it's always good to um think about topics uh which are local uh as well as a have a a broader impact uh, and a broader a broader context i'm glad you brought in europe into into that conversation so why are we discussing this now why now what is the what is the issue Currently.
0: Well, what prompted the paper that was that you referred to that's recently been published in Archives of Diseases of Childhood was the action taken by the government last year in seeking a public consultation on whether there should be fortification of flour with folic acid to prevent neural tube defects. Um, Joan and I and Professor Sir Colin Blakemore had already submitted our views and the response to the questions asked by the government to the government. But we thought that these issues and the reasons we give for fortification should be put in the public arena so that they were accessible to more people. And that's what's prompted the paper and with the support of the editor, the editor-in-chief of the archives, um, that was published in a timely manner and is now available. I suppose in general, the reason is that this issue of fortification in Britain has been considered repeatedly by different governments and at each stage, the decision has been deferred Now, over 80 countries throughout the world have done it without any indication of harm and with evidence of efficacy. And our attempts, the three of us, uh, Joan, Colin, myself, was to try and urge whichever government was in power to take urgent action which could improve the health of women, their children and families.
1: as as well as the wider population.
0: Um, Yes, of course, the wider population because, you know, it involves all of society as a whole, and an avoidable baby with anencephaly or spina bifida is a tragedy, a tragedy for all of us. It's obviously a, a major tragedy for the family's concern, but it's a collective tragedy for all of us that can be avoided if action were taken. The reason fortification is important is because there's evidence that relying on women taking the folic acid supplement before pregnancy is pretty ineffective. It's not totally useless, but many women become pregnant, I wouldn't say by surprise, but it's not planned or it's somewhat unexpected. And even those with an expected um, pregnancy don't know enough about taking the folic acid. And so this is a particular concern in groups in society that are less well off, less educated in public health, and much more vulnerable. And I think there's a collective responsibility that society could take to do whatever we can to avoid these defects across the board. So I agree with you, it is a collective problem as well as a personal problem. Issue.
1: Mm-hmm. Joan, if, if you could come into that, and um, in your background uh, introduction, you mentioned mm-hmm. Europe.
2: Yes, I, I think there's some um, strong evidence across Europe that all countries are recommending supplementation, and yet they haven't seen a fall in the number of babies born with these birth defects over the past 15 years. And so clearly the message hasn't got through to the women about taking the supplements before they become pregnant. I think in surveys across Europe, the general proportion of women who are taking them at the correct time is below 30% and some countries 10 to 15%. It's, it's very difficult to get the message to a woman who isn't pregnant to start taking them before she becomes pregnant.
1: That, that makes total sense to me um, so where uh, we are able to help uh, women um, uh, uh, get the appropriate amount of folic acid to prevent neural tube defects um, we might then be a bit more explicit now as to sort of what is it that we're um, proposing uh, to do Um, Nick, would you briefly uh, uh, give the the, the recipe if you will?
0: Well I think there are three important issues. One is to make a decision that mandatory fortification of flour is accepted as policy and implemented. It should then, the second issue is what particular food components should be fortified and the answer to that is it should be all flour not just wheat flour so that women with uh, celiac disease who are sensitive to gluten can get the benefit through for example the fortification of corn flour and grains should be included like rice because some groups in society get most of their complex carbohydrates through rice rather than through um, starch, then rather than through sort of wheat products. And the third issue is that the level of fortification should not be set too low. A good level that would be a compromise you know, on the way between medical efficacy and public ability would be the level adopted by Chile and their fortification program that aims to deliver about 0.4 milligrams of folic acid to the average diet in the population. So one, we should fortify, two, fortify all flour and grains, and three, do so at a level that's sufficient to obtain a significant health benefit.
1: So I think we've got a clear summary as to what it is that we need to be doing, uh, why the uh, current situation uh, is not as good as it might be, uh, and I'm and I'm curious to put that into the context of of scale. So, so Joan, could you? Uh, give a, an estimate as to how many children say a year in the UK or worldwide um, uh, we are potentially currently harming by failing to act.
2: Yes we did some work a while ago um, which showed that if we'd acted at the same time as the United States of America with fortifying flour in the UK we would have prevented over 2,000 babies being born with these um, anomalies. And so currently it's um, about 150 a year would be prevented by a reasonable level of fortification. If we could persuade the government to fortify at a level similar to somewhere like Chile, it would be much higher.
1: So those are substantial numbers. Yeah. Um, it's not trivial what we're what we're talking about, and coming back to Nick's comment that it's a tragedy having a child being born or being stillborn with preventable uh, anomalies of of that uh, level. You know, perhaps a moral obligation to pursue this.
2: Yes, I, I think it's interesting that if it was something we were doing that was causing it, for instance, some exposure of smoking or something, there would be a big public force to prevent that happening. Um, But because it's inaction that's, that's causing it, there's not the same force to actually prevent it. So I think it's really important that, you know, this is something we could be doing. And if it was, as I say, an exposure, we would stop that exposure. So let's stop the exposure of women not having enough serum folate in their diets.
0: Mm. John's point there is really important. Uh, We face a situation where acts of omission are considered much less important than acts of commission. And really, it could well be the reverse way. And that is exactly the situation here. Failure to act is the cause of these defects. And that's got to really be accepted. I mean, the total number of neural tube defects that could have been prevented in the world far exceeds the number of cases of thalidomide um, uh, bocamellia. Now, it's not to say that one should be casual about thalidomide. Of course, one should take that seriously, and there should be regulations that prevent the use of that in pregnancy. But if that's considered important, then the failure to act in the prevention of spino Bifida should be considered at least as important as that. But unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be the case.
1: I, I think you're um, coming to uh, an, an important uh, acknowledgement that uh, on the whole, it's easier to do nothing um uh the default position to be inertia, uh, uh, and there needs to be some compelling reason to change to action. So there's something about framing and reframing this uh, this issue.
0: That's right, absolutely correct.
2: I just think that's why it's important that we keep raising to the fore that that you know there there are babies being born that we could have helped, and we need to keep that in back in the public eye, we get a lot of people say, but you know, we've known about folic acid since the 1990s. Well, we have, but this still means we have to do something now and we cannot wait.
0: I've said in the past that failure to act in respect to folic acid neural tube defects is like having a polio vaccine and not using it when polio is occurring in the community. So,
1: how is people's part of the community, with a with an unique position as paediatricians, or with an interest in child health? How might we be able to influence government um, and potentially uh, other people in trying to do the right thing?
0: I suppose the singles practical advice is if pediatricians who are alert to this problem and the failure of government to act is to write to their, their local MP and say this is an issue that is urgent and that it now requires a political will and a governmental action and try and seek the support of their MP. Interestingly, for the first time, I did that yesterday to my own MP because I received a letter from a pediatrician who asked me what he could do that would help move things along. And I said, you know, write to your MP. And then I suddenly realized, well, I hadn't. So I did it at the same time.
2: I I think also very importantly is that that's why we've published this paper is that particularly across Europe, I know that there are several other countries that are quite interested in what's happening in the UK um, with respect to folic acid fortification, particularly France. And so we've published this paper to try and summarise all the arguments that paediatricians could be making to their governments and highlighting the issue that the UK government is now considering it and maybe other, er, other countries in Europe could follow along the same
0: path. I suppose another route would be to write to the chief medical officer. The person in that role is the principal advisor to the government, writing to the chief medical officer with a view to um, reinforcing support, because I think he does support fortifications, Chris Whitty, Uh, but urging him to make it a government, a policy priority Instead of one that's kind of left in the sidelines.
1: So I wonder about understanding the uh, the fears that politicians might have uh, in not fortifying uh, grains and uh, and flowers in the in in the way I've just outlined, and uh, trying to understand those fears, uh, which would be irrational, by stating a rationality uh, of the uh, the decision might be one way to show that uh, the politicians that we have um, uh, are seen to be uh, sound uh, in their decision making so there's i think there is something to be said for helping politicians rather than seeing them as a um, or an obstacle to overcome um, uh there, there was something to try and bring them alongside?
0: Well, I think citing the paper that was published in Archives of Diseases of Childhood, because um, it's pretty well written in ordinary English and would be perfectly understood by MPs. That could be, you know, a, a, a point of reference for them to, to bring them on side. So I think this paper would do it but I think we'll get nowhere with the fringe irrational minority that see any government action as being an infringement of liberty.
1: And yet uh, we've we've been able to do that in the past. Um, seat belts come to mind, smoking comes to mind. Um, uh, yes, uh, I-
2: and I think we have also made other small steps recently as well. I mean, really quite an important one was this irrational fear that um, you could have too much uh, folic acid. And we we spent a while going back through trying to find out where, where this had come from and what evidence there was. And we published a paper a few years ago now showing that actually the evidence that had prompted this upper limit uh, was actually totally uh, false Um, that mistakes had been made in the analysis and so we we sort of demonstrated that there isn't a harmful amount of folic acid that you don't need to worry about putting it in food and some people getting way too much so i think we have also all the years been trying to chip away at, at what some of these false beliefs are There isn't an unsafe level of folic acid.
1: So thank you very much, Nick and Joan, for joining us for the ADC Spotlight podcast.
0: And thank you for hosting us. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember, you can read the full paper on the ADC website and look forward to seeing you next month.